0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. My name is Lisa and I will be your conference operator today. Welcome to the Fortis Q1 2020 conference call and webcast. During the call, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. There will be a question and answer session following the presentation. At that time, those with questions should press star followed by one on their telephone. If at any time during the conference you need to reach an operator, please press star zero. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Stephanie Amimo. Please go ahead, Ms. Amaimo.
1: Thanks, Lisa, and good morning, everyone. And welcome to Fortis's first quarter 2020 results conference call. I'm joined by Barry Perry, President and CEO, and Jocelyn Perry, Executive Vice President and CFO. Other members of the senior management team, as well as CEOs from certain subsidiaries. Before we begin today's call, I want to remind you that the discussion will include forward-looking information, which is subject to the cautionary statement contained in the supporting slideshow. Actual results can differ materially from the forecast projections included in the forward-looking information presented today. All non-GAAP financial measures referenced in our prepared remarks are reconciled to the related U.S. GAAP financial measures in our first quarter 2020 MD&A. Also, unless otherwise specified, all financial information references in Canadian dollars. With that, I will turn the call over to Barry.
2: Thank you, Stephanie, and good morning, everyone. To begin today's call, I want to take a moment to express our heartfelt thanks to our 9,000 employees, 3 million-plus customers, and our local communities, all of whom have been impacted by COVID-19. We are especially grateful for our local heroes on the front lines, in our hospitals, and our essential employees working to provide the energy that enables our economy. Also, we are thankful for our customers who depend on us to provide these services. Thank you. Like many companies, we've responded to the call to act. Half of our total employees remain in the field and continue to operate and maintain our critical infrastructure. They have been doing an amazing job The remainder of our essential employees have been working from home since mid-March. Across North America, our utilities have suspended disconnections and waived late fees to help alleviate the impacts of COVID-19 for our customers that need it most. At the community level, our utilities have supported local charities by donating $4 million to food banks, mental health agencies, and other community-based organizations in their local service territories. Our businesses are performing well with essential employees maintaining and operating our systems. With respect to our supply chain, our businesses have had access to the necessary supplies to operate effectively. We will continue to monitor our supply chain for the duration of the pandemic. And in some of our harder hit regions like Michigan and New York, we've sequestered control room operators to ensure we can continue to operate our networks well. During this time, we've adhered to strict health and safety guidelines, including ensuring social distancing is in effect in in the workplace. For example, our work crews have only one person per truck with other employees following to job sites in separate vehicles. Crews are also maintaining good hygiene practices to protect themselves and customers. At the onset of the pandemic, we implemented our emergency response plans hosting regular calls with the CEOs of our 10 utilities. Our leaders have tremendous operational experience and have risen to the occasion, sharing best practices on an array of topics ranging from employee safety to customer solutions in real time. The fundamentals of our business haven't changed with the pandemic. Our decentralized model where local teams have the authority to manage their businesses, coupled with our irreplaceable energy delivery assets Positions as well to provide customers safe and reliable service. Plus, our geographic and regulatory diversity is a major advantage at this time. From a shareholder perspective, 82% of our annual revenues are protected by regulatory mechanisms or are from residential sales, which are expected to increase during the pandemic. This helps to shield a majority of our utilities from changes in sales associated with the economic slowdown which has resulted in lower commercial and industrial sales. Our conservative approach to running the business ensured we were in a strong liquidity position at the start of the pandemic. At the end of April, we had approximately $5 billion of liquidity leaving Fortis position near the top of our sector. COVID-19 has caused the US dollar to strengthen markedly and with approximately 65% of our earnings coming from the United States, This could provide a potential tailwind to Fortis. Lastly, given the regulatory constructs in most of our utilities, we have limited pension exposure. Now turning to slide seven. This slide provides a breakdown of our annual revenues. Approximately 63% of our revenues are protected by regulatory mechanisms from changes in sales, which is very positive. The remaining 37% of total annual revenues are exposed to changes in sales. This primarily relates to UNS in Arizona and our other electric segment. When you break down the 37%, 19% relates to residential sales and 18% to commercial and industrial sales. In other words, 82% of our revenues are either protected by regulatory mechanisms or from residential sales, which I mentioned are generally seeing an increase. While we don't know how long the pandemic will last, we've included a sensitivity table on the slide which translates every 1% change in sales broken out by jurisdiction and revenue class into an annual EPS impact. Moving to slide eight, here we've included an overview of the local economic impacts the pandemic has had in our jurisdictions to date. Generally speaking, most regions are seeing an uptick in residential sales as individuals spend more time in their homes and a decline in commercial and industrial sales as businesses scale back or close. Some of our service territories have been struck harder than others. In Southeast Michigan, for instance, where ITC's headquarters is located, the community has seen a high number of COVID-19 cases. This has resulted in a decline in peak load of up to about 25% at times, mainly driven by manufacturing and auto suppliers being closed during this time. Since the FERC formula rate mechanism allows for a true-up of actual versus projected revenue requirements, ITC expects to recover these lost revenues associated with lower peak loads. However, to help mitigate the size of the true-up, ITC is working to reduce expenses to alleviate the net impact on customers. In contrast, as noted on the previous slide, our utility in Arizona doesn't have a regulatory mechanism to protect it from changes in sales. Fortunately, the Tucson area has seen fewer COVID-19 cases compared to Michigan. In Arizona, the authorities established a broader definition of essential services, which has somewhat muted the economic impact compared to other states. UNS has seen an approximate 10% decline in commercial and industrial sales, partially offset by a 7% increase in residential sales, albeit primarily due to weather. Combined, this yields an approximate 4% decline. Overall, our utilities that are exposed to changes in sales have seen an approximately 3% decline one month into the pandemic. And that's for the period between mid-March and mid-April. Moving on to slide 9, our 2020 capital plan is on track. Through the first quarter, we invested $1.2 billion in our energy systems, or 28% of our annual plan. We are confident in our 2020 plan. However, if the pandemic evolves differently than what authorities expect, some of, some of the capital may shift to subsequent years. Turning to slide 10, the five-year capital plan of $18.8 billion remains intact through 2024. As you will recall, the capital plan is focused on our regulated businesses and consists of a diverse mix of highly executable low-risk projects needed to maintain and upgrade our existing infrastructure. In 2019, mid-year rate base was $28 billion and is projected to grow to $34.5 billion by 2022 and $38.4 billion by 2024. This yields three-year and five-year compound annual growth rates of approximately 7%, which is consistent with our prior rate-based growth guidance. Moving forward, we continue to be focused on employee safety and customer reliability. With our long-term strategy intact, we are progressing our sustainability objectives, including clean energy initiatives. We also continue to focus on cybersecurity and innovation, and are pursuing growth opportunities beyond the base plan. Overall, our growth platform is resilient, and we are confident that our long-term strategy will create shareholder value. With that confidence in our long-term strategy, coupled with our long-standing track record of increasing dividends for 46 consecutive years, we remain committed to our 6% average annual dividend growth guidance through 2024. It's worth noting that about one-third of our shareholder base is comprised of retail investors who rely on our dividends as a source of income. Our goal is to maintain a stable dividend for these investors and other shareholders throughout this crisis. Turning now to the first quarter highlights, our safety and reliability performance was very strong as we invested $1.2 billion of capital expenditures in the quarter. This supported adjusted earnings per common share of $0.68 for the quarter. On the regulatory front, in late March, FERC issued a notice of proposed rulemaking on transmission incentives demonstrating their commitment to incentivizing the construction of transmission infrastructure. Jocelyn will speak to this in more detail shortly. And recently, both S&P and DBRS Morningstar have affirmed our strong investment grade credit ratings. We are pleased with these developments. Now, I'll turn the call over to Jocelyn for an update on the first quarter results, as well as additional information on our COVID-19 financial impact outlook.
3: Thank you, Barry. And good morning, everyone. Reported net earnings for the quarter of 2020 were 312 million or 67 cents per common share compared to net earnings of $311 million or $0.72 per common share for the first quarter of 2019. On an adjusted basis, earnings per common share were $0.68 for the quarter or $0.06 lower compared to the previous year. Our regulated utilities performed well during the quarter with strong rate-based growth. As expected, EPS was tempered by a higher-weighted average share count related to the equity issuance completed in late 2019. And during the quarter, EPS decreased as a result of lower earnings at UNS Energy. And I'll get into the details of UNS on the next slide. On slide 16 shows the details of the EPS drivers by each reporting segment. And as you can see, our regulated utilities contributed a six cents increase in EPS. For Western Canadian utilities, as well as Central Hudson, rate-based growth was the main driver of the increase in EPS. The increase at ITC was driven by rate-based growth, as well as lower development, business development expenses. And earnings at ITC were also tempered by a lower ROE associated with the FERC order issued in November 2019. Our non-regulated energy infrastructure segment contributed a one-cent EPS increase driven by higher realized margins at the Aiken Creek Natural Gas Storage Facility. And At our corporate and other segment, the one-cent negative EPS impact was mainly due to net unrealized losses on foreign exchange contracts partially offset by lower finance charges and operating costs. As noted on the previous slide, lower earnings at UNS decreased DPS by six cents for the quarter. Earnings at UNS reflect higher costs associated with rate-based growth not yet included in rates due to the historical test year. TEP has requested rates, rates that recognize approximately 700 million U.S. of additional rate-based investment and this rate case remains outstanding. Earnings were also lower at UNS due to a reduction in the market value of certain assets that are held in a trust to support retirement benefits. This impact was about three cents and was a result of the financial market volatility experienced in March associated with COVID-19. The remaining decrease was due to lower retail sales in Q1 2020 driven by reduced heating mode compared to the first quarter of 2019. And lastly, a higher number of shares contributed to a $0.06 DPS decrease for the quarter. Now turning to updates on our regulatory proceedings, at ITC, we await a decision on rehearing regarding the MISO-based ROE order issued in November 2019. As you will recall, FERC issued an order in January granting the rehearing for further consideration, effectively extending FERC's review, and there is no stipulated period for FERC to act on this. With regard to the two notices of inquiry issued in March 2019, FERC issued a notice of proposed rulemaking, or NOPER, in March 2020 on the transmission incentives inquiry. In the NOPER, the Commission proposed cumulative ROE incentives of up to 250 basis points for transmission investments that meet certain criteria. It is proposed that these incentives would not be kept by the upper end of the base ROE zone of reasonableness. Notably, the Commission proposed a 100 basis point ROE incentive adder for participation in a regional transmission organization, or RTO compared to the 50 basis point RTO adder that ITC has today. Partially tempering this was a proposal to eliminate the transco ROE incentive adder in which ITC's MISO utilities currently earn 25 basis points. So this means if the proposals in the rulemaking are approved in a final rule, ITC's all-in eligible adders in MISO could move from 75 basis points 100 basis points before considering other project-specific incentives. Next steps include ITC and other stakeholders providing comments to FERC by the 1st of July. As I mentioned, in Arizona, the TEP rate case remains outstanding. Initially, TEP requested new rates become effective May 1st. Unfortunately, due to COVID-19, the Arizona Corporation Commission has extended the procedural schedule and a decision is now expected in late 2020. As I mentioned, the current rates are not reflective of the investments made in Arizona, and as a result, this delay can be expected to temper earnings in 2020. Over the past few years, the impact of delayed rates has been reduced by higher sales associated with warmer-than-expected weather and a strong economy in Tucson. As you can appreciate, it's difficult to predict the impact weather will have on earnings in 2020, but I will note it's pretty hot there today. I understand the temperatures are around 105 degrees Fahrenheit, so it's pretty warm there. Beginning in today's ACC open meeting, the commission is expected to consider various issues related to COVID-19, including the financial impacts on customers and utilities and potential deferral and recovery of pandemic-related costs. We cannot predict the timing or outcome, but view this as a positive development. And as discussed last quarter, 40 BC filed its 2020 to 2024 multi-year rate plan last March, as the prior term expired at the end of 2019. Currently, we have interim rates and expect final rates via a written order by mid-2020. During the quarter, Fortis BC filed an initial project description with regulators to begin a federal impact assessment and an environmental assessment to further expand the Tilbury site. This expansion, which is not included in our current capital plan, considers the potential increase in storage capacity to improve resiliency of the gas system and additional liquefaction for export opportunities. Fortis-Alberta awaits a decision by the Alberta Utilities Commission, or AUC, in the review and variance and stay on implementation of the September 2019 order, which significantly changed the Alberta Electric System Operator's transmission customer contribution policy. We received notice in December that the AUC's decision would be delayed into 2020 to allow the regulator to gather additional information. This information was provided in January, but given the current circumstances, we think there may be further delays before this matter gets resolved. And lastly, expert evidence was filed in AUC's ongoing generic cost of capital proceeding in January. This proceeding was supposed to establish the allowed ROEs and capital structures for 2021 and 2022, but was suspended in March as a result of the pandemic. The AUC will reassess the suspension every 30 to 60 days going forward. On April 23rd, the Commission asked participants to file comments on whether the proceeding could be resumed, and if so, when and on what terms. As you may recall, we strengthened our liquidity in 2019 using proceeds from the equity issuance and sale of the Juanita expansion to repay fixed-term debt and credit facility borrowings. We have approximately $5 billion in total liquidity, which strongly positions Fortis as we continue to work through the COVID-19 pandemic and execute on our capital plan. This includes a $1.3 billion unutilized corporate credit facility and an additional $500 million one-year revolving term corporate facility secured in April. Most of our credit facilities are unsecured committed facilities with maturities ranging from 2022 to 2025. And as you can see on slide 19, our utilities remain active in the debt capital markets. ITC issued 275 million U.S. term loans in the first quarter. Additionally, TEP and Newfoundland Power successfully issued 30 and 40-year debt in April 2020. Despite broader market volatility, the debt capital markets remain attractive for strong credit quality issuers like Fortis. Our financial flexibility is further supported by manageable fixed-term debt maturities with approximately $1.1 billion due on average annually over the next five years, with approximately $500 million maturing in 2020. In 2019, we met all credit rating agency thresholds and significantly improved our cash flow to debt and holding company debt metrics. This improvement was reflective of our funding plan, again, including the sale of the Juanita expansion and the equity issuance. And you will also recall we terminated both our ATM program and the 2% discount previously offered under our dividend reinvestment plan concurrently with the equity issuance. In late March, S&P affirmed our A minus issuer rating and our BBB plus unsecured debt rating. S&P recognized the execution of our funding plan in 2019 while maintaining the negative outlook due to concerns around COVID-19. The negative outlook is consistent with our peers as S&P revised its outlook for the entire North American regulated utility industry to negative from stable in early April due to COVID-19. And on May 4th, DBRS Morningstar affirmed a triple-B high issuer rating and senior unsecured debt rating with a positive trend up from stable. Fortis's low business risk profile, improved credit metrics, and ample liquidity support our investment grade credit ratings. Before I wrap up my remarks, I wanted to discuss some of the potential financial implications of COVID-19. Despite capital market volatility associated with the pandemic, Fortis benefits from limited pension exposure. At the end of last year, our defined benefit pension plans were almost 90 percent funded with just under half of the plan assets invested in fixed income. Our pension expense is further mitigated by regulatory mechanisms covering approximately 80 percent of our plan assets. The remaining 20 percent relates primarily to UNS, where the exposure is largely attributable to the historical test year. As a reminder, the impact of asset valuations on pension expense and funding requirements is dependent on December 31st asset valuations, so consequently, any valuation impact will not be reflected in our financial results until 2021. And with regard to other retirement benefits, our U.S. utilities fund certain benefits through trust and are subject to market changes each quarter. Outside of UNS, most assets are heavily weighted towards fixed income investments and thus have minimal volatility. In total, UNS has approximately 30 million U.S. in trust assets. Turning now to the implications of the recent strengthening of the U.S. dollar, approximately two-thirds of our earnings come from the U.S., and a similar amount for our five-year capital plan is expected to be invested in the U.S. A stronger U.S. dollar could be a tailwind for Fortis in 2020. Every five-cent change in the U.S. dollar to Canadian dollar exchange rate impacts annual EPS by approximately six cents on average and would result in an approximately $400 million change in our five-year capital plan. And as a reminder, our capital plan is based on a foreign exchange rate of 1.32. Lastly, we remain committed to working with our customers to alleviate some of the financial impacts associated with COVID-19. Although it is too early to quantify the impact, we continue to evaluate potential credit, credit losses. And depending on the amount, some of our utilities may seek future rate recovery of credit losses associated with this pandemic. Additionally, some of our utilities are somewhat insulated from credit losses. For instance, ITC and Fortis, Alberta do not interface with end-use customers for billing purposes. Instead, ITC is primarily paid by MISO, which collects revenue from the local distribution utilities, and Fortis, Alberta is mainly paid by the retail energy provider, EPCOR. Combined, ITC and Fortis, Alberta represent approximately 30% of our annual revenues. So to summarize, we are effectively managing the financial impacts of COVID-19 on our operations. Our diverse business, coupled with positive regulatory mechanisms and constructive regulatory relationships, place us in a good position today. This concludes my remarks, and I will now turn the call back to Barry.
2: Thank you, Jocelyn. To wrap up, I want to reiterate our heartfelt thanks to frontline workers, especially those in healthcare and our own essential personnel. As for Fortis, our fundamentals haven't changed. We are strong and stand united with our 10 utilities across North America to deliver the essential service that our customers count on by keeping the lights on and the natural gas flowing. We are optimistic that we can navigate back to a sense of normalcy, keeping the health and safety of our employees and customers top of mind. I'll now turn the call back over to Stephanie.
1: Thank you, Barry. This concludes the presentation. At this time, we'd like to open the call to address questions from the investment community. Thank you, ladies and
0: gentlemen. We will now conduct the question and answer period. If you would like to now register a question, please press the star followed by one on your telephone. If your question has been answered and you would like to withdraw your registration, please press the pound sign. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before entering your request. One moment, please, for the first question. And our first question today comes from the line of Robert Kwan from RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Good
4: morning. Um, If I can just start with the COVID-19 impact, and you've got the the sensitivity uh, if the 3% reduction holds on an annual basis then, so that's tracking to two to three cents a share, but you also noted the FX impact and if that holds as well, are you looking at kind of everything in its entirety being in, that? that that's kind of that commentary about it potentially be just a net positive?
3: Robert, certainly, this is Jocelyn. Yeah, I mean, right now we're seeing uh, an overall 3% decrease and um, so about three pennies, so one could potentially argue that the, the tailwind with FX could certainly mute uh, the impact of any variance that we see as a result of lower sales in those jurisdictions. Yes, you're correct.
4: And just to be clear, though, um, you focused on the sales reduction and that any of the other COVID-19 responses that you outlined, including the return of, of the DSM in Arizona, uh, the rate deferral in Turks, and, and any of the bill deferrals, is that just... your expectation cash timing and and everything from an earnings perspective will be swept up under rate regulated accounting
2: i think uh, robert those are fairly minor overall i I, you know i don't think they're large enough uh to to uh show up uh uh, the one in arizona i don't think has an impact Uh, turks obviously delaying the rate implementation does have some some impact on the bottom line but
4: but they're not significant in any way, so Got it. okay, and if I can just finish with funding, um, removing the drip discount looks like it's had a pretty big impact on participation. so if if that continues to hold, can you just talk about your approach <coughs> excuse me sorry, your approach to funding given I think the drip being on at a participation higher than where you are was was part of the the, the plan going forward?
2: So, Robert, I'm going to jump in because, I, you know, obviously, based on our uh, actions last year to exit the Juanita plant, you know, for a billion dollars, and then a billion and two of equity done in December, it's almost like we predicted the pandemic was coming, you know. We really got out ahead of this thing and created a strong position. But if you think back to when we did the equity, you know, we talked about pre-funding our capital plan. Um, so, yeah, we got lower participation in the drip, which we expected. But you know we have really no need to go do equity for some time here, and uh, we created a lot of room for the company. Now, if we get some more growth, which uh, is very possible as we as we look at some of the initiatives we have on the go in the company, then yeah, we'll probably be looking at some more equity. But uh, but where we are now, it's nothing that I'd be worried about t- anytime soon. Okay,
4: so but just to be clear, um, absent of new growth, the this low over participation rate was what has already been factored into the existing capital plan that doesn't require material new equity going forward?
2: Yeah, we, we've had, we we did assume lower DRIP participation. It is a little lower than what we anticipated, but it's just been one quarter, right? So I think we need to go to two, two or three quarters, uh, Robert, to really see what the actual DRIP participation is, you know, what, what we're leveling off at. So, What we're finding is the banks are doing synthetic drips, you know, that that there is, there's a lot of shareholders actually participating in drips. They're just not the Fortis drip, right? So the banks are doing their own back office drips and buying shares in the open market, which I think a lot of us weren't really aware of. So, So once the discount went away, this is what's occurring. So we're looking at that and, you know, seeing if there's anything we can do about that.
4: Got it. Thank you very much.
0: And our next question comes from the line of Ben Pham from BMO. Your line is open.
5: Okay, uh, thanks. Good morning. Uh, thanks a lot for all the detail on, on COVID-19. I was wondering, as you've gone through this, this work from home and, and remote and, and whatnot, is, is there any sort of potential permanent cost savings coming out of this that has popped up, you know, travel and you have a dozen different... Board meetings and, and companies are you're looking at—is anything there that uh, you think could be sustainable? And I know you mentioned cost reductions at ITC. I wasn't sure that that was a reference to, to that.
2: Yeah, it, uh, Ben, listen, great question. And I, I would say, first of all, at the top, the transition to work from home has gone remarkably well. You know, uh, if you had asked me, you know, uh, three months ago, could we put five thousand people? Uh, uh, at home working and have a very effective system and communication system and all that stuff, I would have said, geez, you know, that's going to be a big challenge. But our IT team especially stepped up, and it's working so well. And we actually are communicating. Uh, we're communicating better, I think, at this point in terms of the senior team especially and, and how we're monitoring each other's businesses and, and relearning really from each other. That, so that's all going well. I would say it's a little early to say you know what the savings are associated with this uh and whether it some of it becomes permanent you know we're learning or uh, we're just i would think in the last couple of weeks here we're sort of starting to feel a little more comfortable about how the current system is working but definitely we'll be looking at opportunities to uh to really see if there's stuff here that we can keep once we get through the crisis and you know clearly travel is down all that kind of stuff, you know, that's 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 evident at this point in time But uh, maybe there are bigger things around some proportion of our workforce may be able to stay working from home You know and uh, that could let lessen the need for office space uh, that kind of thing So so we're going to be looking at that but uh, at this point a little early to say uh, how much it is and what the real benefit could be
5: All right great um- maybe on the uns the the hearing scheduled in the summer uh, do you do you know are they comfortable with a virtual hearing and submissions or is this a situation where this could keep can punt it down uh into the future
6: uh david hutchins
2: did you get that question
6: yeah i i, I got that question uh, thanks ben um yeah they have got uh, extremely comfortable with virtual open meetings um and uh, and I'm sure we'll be able to do a, a virtual um hearing for this this particular circumstance it's not a very complicated one it's a single issue um there's not a whole bunch of uh of uh of uh interveners for this particular issue so uh, I think this will e- easily be done in the june time frame virtually
5: okay great and,
6: and maybe one, one last uh
5: question on, on the lease uh you mentioned Belize, in your commentary Those looks. There's probably a couple pennies hit last year. Is that is that because uh, conditions have improved, or is it because year over year it's still uh, challenging?
2: The, the the water situation in Belize is definitely still challenging. Uh, we've been actually holding back a little bit of water as we as we go into the into the dry season to make sure we have some. Some um, amount of water to provide energy to the to the country, and um, so we 're actually above the rule curve right now, but we 're holding back on generation at the at the request of the uh, utility there um, so I think i'm you know band really, really you know we've got to wait now till august september october for the for the uh, rainy season to start again and uh, I remind everyone, it only takes one big tropical storm to fill that, that reservoir in Belize. So, uh, you know, we're all dancing uh, for rain at this point. But, um, you know, right now we are still struggling through a very severe drought there. We did pick up a little bit of earnings from our interest in Belize electricity. We do, you know, a lot of folks maybe have forgotten this, but we do earn own one-third of the, of the utility there. Um, and we did pick up, I think, uh, a little bit from that in the quarter.
5: Okay, that's great. Thank you.
0: And our next question comes from the line of Rob Hope from Scotiabank. Your line is open.
4: Yes, uh, morning everyone. Um, Two questions. First one's just, uh, can you add a little bit more colour on the uh, you know, the three cent hit at UNS. You know, what type of assets are included in that trust just given that the three cents looks relatively large versus I believe Jocelyn said that uh, you know, the trust had $30 million of assets there, and I guess subsequently, you know, could we see a, a, uh, a reverse of the, uh, a partial reverse of the charge into Q2?
3: Yes, Rob. Uh, yeah, they do have about $30 is it's, it's invested 60-40, I'm going to say, between equity and fixed income. It did take, um, it did take a bit of a hit uh, this quarter, um, but we also had a slight gain in the first quarter of the previous year, so... Uh, Two pennies actually, um, I guess, happened in this quarter, but it was coupled with the positive uh, gain in the first quarter of last year. We don't typically see big movements. It never, ever reaches a penny for Fortis. Um, But where the market took a bit of a a drop at the end of March there, uh, clearly it added up to the three pennies for Fortis.
2: Yeah, you know, this this market volatility, uh, Rob, was – it's interesting you know you think about what happened in the last couple of weeks of the quarter on on the stock markets and on on foreign exchange for Canada like you know we were well, even on foreign exchange we were like uh, averaging for the quarter like a dollar thirty four but the dollar ended up at the end of the quarter at like a buck forty or something like that so so we had to mark the market our you know our contracts at the end of the quarter but only earned during the quarter at one thirty four so it was a mismatch so this sort of Acute movement in the markets near the end of the quarter introduced a little bit of volatility for us um, You know the markets have bounced back. So so I know David's team. They've recovered a bit of of that uh, of that sort of trust uh, account already and uh, You know if markets continue to improve that we'll, we'll, we'll get that back So it's really I'd say not sort of like part of the normal business It's it definitely something we have to do to fund retirement benefits, but but, you know, this market, acute market volatility has caused us some, some issues with those those accounts.
4: All right, that's helpful. Uh, and then just um, a, a longer-term question. Just how are you thinking about the the Eagle Pipeline in BC and, you know, what are your conversations with the developer there? It looks like you pushed it off to 2024 from late 2023.
2: Uh, you know, Rob, I, I would say that uh, we're still uh, including that project in our five-year plan. We're still spending money on behalf of that developer. They're funding work that we're doing. So as long as we continue to see that progress uh, from the from the customer, ultimately that is building the the plant. You know, we we feel we have to include it. I am very excited about the prospects in BC generally. You know the. Uh, our natural gas system there is uh, a very large system we're looking at some exciting opportunities uh, to expand our Tilbury site Jocelyn mentioned that in her in her upfront comments you know to add more more tank storage for resiliency maybe some more uh, liquefaction for bunkering and export opportunities we really don't have those things in our five-year plan yet but they're starting to advance and I'm getting more and more optimistic I know Roger's on the call and And, um, you know, he's doing some really great work for us in British Columbia. So when you think about governments and looking towards shovel-ready projects coming out of this uh, crisis, we're hopeful that some of the work we're doing at B.C. will be on that list and we'll be able to grow the business even faster in British Columbia.
4: All right. Thank you for the color.
0: And our next question comes from the line of Michael Sullivan from Wolf Research. Your line is open.
7: Yeah, hey, Ron, Good morning. Hope, hope you're all well. Um, you too. I too. Uh, I just had a question I wanted to dig a little deeper on, on the Arizona sales growth trends. Um, do, do you happen to have any of those data points on, on a weather normal basis, just given I, I think that was had a pretty, uh, pretty big impact in, in Q1 and in April as well? I'm going to – David Hutchins is on the line. I'm going to throw it over to
2: David. I will say this period that we have in that slide, Michael, is uh, the period mid-March to mid-April is the, sh- the shoulder period for for that – you know, for the business in Arizona. So it's the toughest period to predict trends. But, David, you know, you have all the details on that, obviously.
6: Yeah, I'd, I'd just add, uh, Barry, that on a weather-normalized basis, um, residential is – Flat to slightly up, and, and remember also that weather normalization is uh, quite a bit more of a of an art than science. And there's a lot of things moving around, particularly as we as we see uh, commercial businesses change how they're uh, they're taking energy, as well as the residential load shape, etc. So our models aren't really as as great as we'd like them because we've never seen a load shape really quite like this. Um, but given given that, uh, if you take out the weather normalization on an overall a uh, perspective, I would say, it probably takes out a percent or maybe two at most um, on on that four percent that we were looking at as net down for that uh, for that uh, last 30-day um, outlook or, or, or look back. So the other thing to keep in mind too, though, is that these are shoulder months and we don't see a ton of of weather typically in the March-April time period. As we get into the summer. Uh, we'll see a lot more uh, sensitivity to weather, particularly with uh, uh, that many more people working from home. So, weather the, the weather on a going forward basis will will be something to watch for sure. Great,
7: thanks. And, and then also just sticking with with Arizona, um, the the impact of of uh, the delayed Ray case, um, I think, showed up in in the quarter as. Uh, two cents, uh, just any sense of, of uh, how big that in sh- impact should be over the course of the year, given it's looking like uh, rates not going to be in effect until late 2020?
2: Michael, I, I try to stay simple on this stuff. You know, we got 700 million rate base um, that's, that we're trying to get into rates. No real issues with that. A lot of, you know, the Gila River unit, uh, the reciprocating engines, is sort of like good stuff. Um you know, you apply 50% equity uh, to that. Um, maybe just use some some estimate of ROE that you feel comfortable with, and and for the remaining time period for the year, you know, do the do the math. It's uh, it's pretty simple, and that's that's sort of what we're seeing for the rest of the year at this point. It's unfortunate, you know, that uh, it's been that long since we set set rates. We've done a great job investing in the, in Arizona. We're looking forward to getting our our new rates there and continuing to to do our jobs but uh but there will be a a, a lingering impact on uh, on the earnings in Arizona until we get get those rates uh,
7: secured at the end of the year. Okay, great. And then then just last one for me. Um I know you said a little um early to to talk about um credit losses but just um any any historical perspective uh, of what those have looked like in, in past economic downturns and how much of that you've ultimately had to uh to wear versus uh covered by by riders um
2: i, I would say first of all from a canadian perspective like, like if you look back to 08 09 we really didn't have uh, the u.s businesses back then you know it gives you a sense how much we've grown uh you know in c- the canadian uh customers you know pay their bills frankly um, and uh, we've not seen historically large bad debts even in crises um, I know that um, the US utilities maybe there's a little more of that but you know the work we've done Jocelyn we haven't like there's not been this has not been a material issue historically
3: right certainly not material and I do know in New York uh, during the last financial crisis that um, that they actually did apply for a regulatory deferral and they did get it. But, again, nothing material to us in terms of the dollar amount we're talking about. But, um, and I suspect in this case, depending on the amounts of credit losses that that the utilities may see, uh, you know, they very well may file for the regulator for deferrals of these amounts as well. But nothing material that we expect.
2: But, Michael, you're, you're, we're, we're on alert for it. We are monitoring it, but it's a little early uh, also to say that there's any trend or anything at
7: this point. Awesome. Thanks again. Take care.
0: Your next question comes from Julian DeMullen-Smith from Bank of America. Your line is open. Good
8: morning, everyone. It's actually Ryan Greenwald. I'm for Julian. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning. Appreciate all the new disclosures and sensitivity. So was hoping you guys could kind of give us some color. I know. Uh, the data that you guys provided there, as you alluded to, is the shoulder months. But can you kind of talk about your internal assumptions for load on a weather normalized basis into the summer, specifically in Arizona?
2: Uh, Ryan, it's pretty tough. You know, I, I know the industry. I think what we're hearing is about a four percent net load. You know, between you know commercial being down, say ten and and uh residential being up six seven that that kind of thing you know we're seeing about the same stuff uh at fortis uh but I, you know the, the the business in arizona is such a wild card you know with with temperatures at the levels we're seeing even today like 105 degrees you can quickly overcome any decline in uh in sales on the commercial side by by an uptick on the residential side so uh you know on a day like today we're you know we're our sales are probably up in arizona uh, you know uh, you know even factoring in the the crisis so so you know that's that's the nuance for fortis is you know trying to predict you know where the weather's going to be in arizona so uh so you know in the last two or three years last year maybe it was a little more normal but the Prior two years, we had warm weather, and that overcame all the regulatory lag that we were experiencing, or most of it, in the jurisdiction, right?
8: Yep, fair enough. And then in terms of kind of, so you have some mechanisms in place, but uh, you have this rate lag in Arizona. I guess broadly kind of levers that you can pull across your jurisdictions just in terms of mitigating any load impact? Sorry, Ryan, can you, that you know,
2: we lost the first part of your question. Can you can
8: you uh, restate it? Yeah, so you have some mechanisms in certain jurisdictions, but then you have the rate lag in Arizona. But just broadly, can you kind of talk about the levers that you can pull in terms of cost cuts in order to kind of mitigate any load impact?
2: Um, you know, I don't think there's a lot we can do, uh, Ryan, really. You know, we are doing some, uh, obviously, ITC are you know, load is down uh, probably more than uh, than uh, some of our other jurisdictions, largely related to the auto plants. I know Linda and her team are really focused on on cost reductions uh, to really mitigate uh, uh, the impact on, on customers there. But it's not a bottom line issue. You know, it's more about making sure we do the right thing. Um, so, you know, in the other businesses, you know, we, our focus really is mainly around making sure the grids are operational, that we are that we're very reliable, that the service we're providing is, uh, you know, is there for our customers. You know, we've always done a great job of monitoring our, our, our operating costs, you know, as we come in for frequent rate cases, especially in our Canadian jurisdictions. So I don't think there's a lot of opportunity to cut costs in the business, um to uh to sort of create more earnings in one part of the business offset you know an impact in another part of the business that's that's sort of not the way we operate the business overall some other companies might like do that way but uh but for us you know our businesses are are independent businesses that you know uh are implementing their business plans executing on their capital uh and uh currently doing a really good job I, you know we haven't really seen any because i think some of the early practices around how we approach the work and, and safety of our employees, we really haven't seen much much at all in terms of a decline in our in the work that we're doing in the field.
8: Got it, appreciate the time. Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Mark Jarvie from CIBC Capital Markets. Your line is open.
5: Great, good morning everyone. Um, just following up on that question where you said you. You couldn't necessarily do a lot on the off X. What about given there's a slight push out in the in the TEP rate case about um, managing capex uh, just as the regulatory lag here gets extended a bit more
2: Uh no, I don't think we're going to do that you know we the capex we're putting in the ground in TEP is required You know the fact is is we have an historical test year there the crisis happened it's um, uh, you know, it's not unusual that the commission would have delayed in this certain circumstance. Uh, you know, the 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 process. that we're seeing that happen uh, across many jurisdictions. So, you know, we knew coming in uh, that it was an historical test year. Like I would hope. Listen, I'd hope over time. And you know, uh, I'm always encouraging David and the team to try to find ways to to improve. Um, I suppose the regulatory compact in Arizona. Recently, with this case, you know, our, our equity looks like our equity is going to move up from 50 to 53. So that's a positive development. But but I don't see ourselves really uh, cutting capex or anything like that. You know, there may be some way of moving capital around a few months here or there that that helps a little bit. We'll take advantage of that. But but from a from an overall direction, you know, you, from where, how we look at Arizona is that it's it's a really fast-growing jurisdiction. Uh, it you know, typically leads the nation, you know, in the, in the top one, two, or three states in terms of economic growth. Over the long haul, we have tremendous investment opportunities there, and and over over time, we're going to see that earnings growth. It's just that we'll have these periods of flatness between rate cases, and um, fortunately, you know, uh, there's about 20 plus percent of Fortis overall. Uh, we can absorb that, but. Uh, but we're not looking at uh, severe changes in terms of how we run the business, that's for sure.
5: Okay. And, and then just turning to BC, can you clarify whether or not there actually is decoupling in place on in an interim rates or that comes in after you get through this rate case? And then given that you're kind of saying there's revenue protection there, what is that from the electric utility? Is that just a higher fixed charge component?
2: So it was the question about BC, British Columbia?
5: Yeah, Yeah, that's correct.
2: Yeah, we have Roger, maybe you can describe the mechanism, but I think it's pretty, uh, a pretty strong mechanism from that protects volume, right?
4: Yeah, so uh, there's two uh, metrics. Uh, we've had decoupling for uh, decades uh, on our residential and commercial that protects uh, usage. Uh, and then under the PVR that ended at the, uh, the end of 2019, we had a revenue flow through that captured all other revenue variances we've applied in the uh, MRP that we're waiting for on the decision, uh, we've applied for a continuation of that revenue uh, flow through. Uh, So currently we're using the revenue flow through and we expect it to be approved uh, when we get the rate order. But absent that, we've always had the decoupling going back uh, years that covers our uh, residential and commercial customer classes. Okay, thanks for clarifying that. And then
5: I know it's a small segment of your earnings, but the Caribbean, given the drop in tourism, maybe just speak to what can be done to sort of mitigate some of the, the drop in the low there and, and how severe could the earnings impact be?
2: I don't see a material earnings impact coming out of the Caribbean. And, in fact, in in Grand Cayman right now, we're not seeing a lot of sales-related changes. Uh, you know, it's not as – Grand Cayman is not as subject to the tourism trade as Turks and Caicos is. Turks and Caicos is a little, a little down. Uh, we – you know, we we made a – I suppose we, we really made headway in Turks and Caicos just before the crisis by getting uh, rates uh, settled for the recovery of hurricane costs. And, you know, unfortunately, when the crisis happened, we did have to delay the implementation of that uh, of that rate increase. Uh, so overall, you know, I remind everyone, the Caribbean in total is 3 percent of the company. So. So really, it's not it's not significant, um, and uh, it may be a penny or something like that overall for Fortis, but but not significant.
7: Okay, thank you.
0: And again, if you'd like to ask a question, that's star one on your telephone. Our next question comes from the line of Linda Izergalev from TD Securities. Your line is open.
9: Thank you. Um, I'm wondering um, if you've put any thought to maybe. Um, reassessing your uh, rate um, or your rev- revenue allocation across customer classes to the extent that potentially industrial load doesn't recover in certain jurisdictions um, very quickly and maybe even um, some impact remains for commercial customers. Um, what, what, how quickly could that be done in various jurisdictions and, and do you think the regulator would be open to that and or potentially increasing um, your fixed charges uh, as well?
2: Uh, good question, Lin- Linda, um, hope you're well. Uh, you know, I think first of all, an industrial class, we don't get a lot of margin from industrial uh, customers. They're usually that large volume, you know, customer that got the lowest power rates and we don't get a lot of volume. So a lot of, a lot of margin, I should say, but if you extend your question to com- commercial customers, there's obviously more margin there. I think, you know, we'd have to see this, um, this sort of pandemic lasts a little longer here to to start thinking about rate design you know and customer allocation customer cost you know revenue requirement allocation i guess between customer classes you know i think we will probably learn something from this uh, you know but i think it's a bit early to say we're going to be filing uh new applications to try to try to allocate uh you know our cost to different classes based on what we're seeing now uh on the pandemic so but i you know interesting thought for sure
9: okay and i and i know it's early days and you're focused on the safe operations um for your customers and and your employees Um, but you did mention this possibility that uh, if growth were added um, your your equity needs might change so i'm just wondering if you can comment on at what point uh, the organization would be open to Looking at um, maybe opportunistically acquisitions uh, and what factors would need to be in place uh, that would um, make you uh, more interested in capitalizing on those opportunities.
2: Yeah, yeah like we we have this sort of uh, situation that we're fortunate that we have a strong organic growth story, great great bunch of businesses now that that have you know we this rate based growth. Uh, of around 7% and you know that's using exchange rate of 132 if we believe the Canadian dollar is going to be at 139 That rate-based number growth, you know, I think the next three years were eight plus um, Percent rate-based growth, so so we had a big tailwind there, but so Linda, you know No one's buying anything in the middle of this crisis I, unless a company is really in trouble uh, In our in our sector. I don't think any transaction happened in this crisis so really coming out of it into next year you might see some some companies uh, trade. Um, I'm not anxious to to get back at that. I really am. I think we got a we got a great um, a great company, uh, great portfolio of businesses that are growing well at this point in time. Acquisitions are risky. Um, I won't rule it out because we always got to look at the opportunities to create shareholder value. Uh, we've got a great business model at Fortis, and that's showing up here in this crisis. You know, in terms of our local management teams. I can't imagine centrally managing a crisis like this across multiple jurisdictions in Canada and the U.S. Like the fact we have this business model that we have is working out so well for Fortis. So I do know that we can, we can add another company to that in the future. It's just not, not something we're focused on right now.
9: Thank you, and um, I, I realize your drip participation rate has has gone down with elimination of the discount, but I'm just wondering um, what options you might have uh, to turn it off and um, what factors would uh, have to evolve or change for you to um, consider turning that off entirely?
2: Uh, you know, I think there's some some shareholders will like the fact that there's the drip. You know, so I'm not thinking we'll turn it off. Uh, I mentioned earlier on the call that the the participation rate did decline a little far, more than what we were expecting, and what we're learning is the fact that uh, you know a lot, a lot of the uh, banks are are doing their own drips uh, now that there's no discount on ours. You know, they don't. I guess they, you know they can figure out how to do that without creating too much risk for themselves and and um, offer these reinvestment programs so we don't get the issue shares from treasury they're just bought in the market by the bank so we're not seeing that that sort of uh, cash flow coming in uh, we're looking at that and see if there's a way that you know that uh, we can we can change that maybe you know maybe the possibility is we, we we even go back to adding a little discount on the drip again to sort of normalize the participation so that's that's one possibility so I I guess what I'm saying is I do value the drip. I do value what it brings to retail shareholders, and I'm was a little surprised that that uh, the me- the mechanics behind this in the Canadian market that allow drips to continue without the company's involvement, basically.
0: Thank you. And again, if you'd like to ask a question, press star and the number one on your telephone keypad. Our next question comes from the line of Patrick Kenny from National Bank Financial. Your line is open.
10: Yeah, good morning. Um, just on the rehearing for the base ROE at ITC, any thoughts on how this recent volatility, both the capital markets and the overall economy, um, might help support your case in convincing the FERC to maintain a methodology that supports a higher base ROE? If I recall, you know, 8 09 had, somewhat of a positive impact on base ROEs after the dust settled. So I'm just wondering if you're expecting uh, a similar outcome this time around with the FERC at ITC um, and maybe perhaps across some of your other utilities as well.
2: Uh, Patrick, that's a great question. I'd, I'd have to say, listen, we'll use all the tools available to us. And I know Linda's on the call and she can wade in here. But, you know, uh, the messaging is consistency at FERC and uh, the ROE needs to be enough. To incent the building and transmission, and that ROE means it's got to be higher than state level uh, 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 ROEs, and uh, you know, so I, you know, I, I believe uh, FERC understands that. We just got to figure out how to get to the other end of all these processes that uh, that that we have in place at this point in time. We are, I think, seeing some positive commentary coming out of the uh, commission chair, and I'm hopeful that. Uh, over the next maybe 12-18 months here, we'll get uh, we'll get some of these matters resolved and uh, get back to that, you know, knowing what the ROEs are going to be, so that we can make the decisions necessary to to build out the transition transmission system in the U.S. You know, it's such a marvelous asset, and it's facilitated such such improvement in renewable energy and all those things. So. So I think FERC understands the importance of it all, and we're hopeful that will come out at the right end of it. Linda, anything you can offer as well on uh, on current volatility and how it sort of plays into everything?
11: Well, Barry, I think uh, you stated it very, very well. And just to kind of repeat what Barry said, look, I mean, I think FERC, um, you know, FERC has been, I think, um, keeping a close eye on sort of what is happening in the market. I think they understand very well um, the impact of the economic downturn and COVID, and sort of just how important to have a sustainable, healthy ROE is to continue to attract um, transmission investments. So, you know, while we don't have any specifics in terms of you know what actions they might take or when, I think we continue to to view this as. You know, just I think a reminder to FERC about how important stable, sustainable ROEs are, and uh, so I think we remain hopeful um, that we will see you know some action, some decision uh, before the end of the year on ROE on the ROE case. Uh, But certainly, I mean, we we don't really have any particular insight on on timing, but we are hopeful and optimistic.
10: Okay, that's great. Thank you. and then maybe just for jocelyn on uh to go back to the fx tailwind you might have touched on it but um can you confirm if you're thinking about locking in you know perhaps your next 12 to 24 months of us dollar cash flow here at current rates of call it a dollar just to again lock in some of that tailwind to offset the impact of COVID.
3: yeah patrick we're thinking about it every day and we're on top of it and we have done some extra hedging uh, as we've seen, the rates increase. So um, you're 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 right on the mark there, and uh, that's something that we look at every day, and we're doing more of
10: it. And maybe can you just remind us on the negative outlook from S&P? Um, you know, outside of the the, the COVID uncertainties and whatnot, um, what needs to be achieved to get back to the stable outlook, um, and perhaps your internal expectations on when you might hit those targets.
3: I think for S&P, for us, uh, you know, the negative outlook, similar to the industry outlook, um, is all related to them getting comfort with how uh, the short-term cash flows are impacted and how we, uh, you know, set up potential regulatory mechanisms to deal with them and how long it's going to take to recover some of those costs over time. So I think they just want to get comfort that the regulatory mechanisms are working as intended, which we have a number of these mechanisms. And, uh, and to have some visibility for the, sort of the long-term recovery of cash flows. So once I think regulators get through um, sort of solidifying these mechanisms and, and implementing these mechanisms in the middle of COVID, I think that S&P for us will get comforted on our cash flows.
10: And any comment on when you might decide to file for future rate recoveries due to, to credit losses? Is that a you know, back half of 2020 Process and and perhaps uh, what's the time lag like for those um, recoveries to start showing up in the results?
3: Yeah, so that's a bit of a tough question because all of our utilities will be impacted differently, and and it will be either material for some or not material for others. Again, we're not expecting it to be material for Fortis, watching it quite closely, clearly, um, but I suspect that we will have to have a little bit more time to assess credit losses before any of the utilities uh, stand in front of the regulators looking for recovery.
10: Okay, that's great. That's it for me. Keep well, everybody.
3: Thank you, Patrick.
0: We have no further questions at this time. I would like to turn the call back over to Stephanie Amaimo for any closing remarks.
2: Thank Thank you, you, Lisa. We have enough. Stephanie is Barry. I just want to maybe add a closing comment. before we go, I just want to say to everyone, you know, I'm so proud of uh, my team and uh, all the employees of Fortis and how we responded to this crisis. Um, we're doing our darnest to make sure we can deliver safe, reliable energy right now. And uh, I'm also proud of the industry generally. This industry has responded so well to this crisis, and obviously, knock on wood, that hopefully we can keep doing that. And also, I'll, I'll tip my hat to regulators. You know, regulators are working. With us, with the customers, to try to make sure we come through this in a in a good spot where we're we're taking care of our customers and also taking care of the utilities. And uh, I'm very very optimistic that uh, that we'll come through this crisis in a, in a good in good shape and uh, get back to normal business once the once we get to the other side of it. So thank you very much. Back to you, Stephanie.
1: Thank you, Barry, and thank you everyone for participating in our first quarter 2020 results call please contact Investor Relations should you need anything further. Thank you for your time. Stay safe and have a great day. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's Investor Relations section on their website. See you next time.